Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. Did you catch the title of this morning's lesson? Red Letter New Testament. How many of you know what a Red Letter New Testament is? Ah, okay. Yeah, we've got a lot of hands going up. That's what I grew up with was a Red Letter New Testament, King James Version, which, by the way, is a good translation. I know the language is a little archaic, but it's a good translation, which means it's accurate. But those red letters, I remember as a child reading those and thinking like they'd been made red because of why? Those are the words of Jesus Christ. That's the idea, things that he actually said. Now, I'm not against red letter New Testaments. But those red letters can, if we don't know better, give us the wrong impression. Because one thing I've come to understand is the entire Bible from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of the Revelation as we have our Bibles organized are the words of Jesus Christ. Every word. He either spoke it himself or he gave it to a prophet or an apostle to speak. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Wait a minute. What time is it? It's not night yet, is it? Now, one of the things you and I need to understand is that the entire Bible from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation has one purpose. And that purpose is to draw you to him. That is why all of this is written. That is why God has done what he has done and Jesus has done what he has done. That is why the Holy Spirit is living in you is to draw you and me Back to God. That's how important you are to him. But this idea of the Bible being the word of Christ. I want to dwell on that this morning. I want us to think about these things. And I I started making a PowerPoint. And I thought, no, I don't want people to be looking at a screen. I want us to learn some, perhaps maybe learn again, to look into our Bibles And I hope you've brought your Bible this morning. I hope you have access to a Bible, even if it's an electronic Bible. I want you to read these things for yourself in whatever copy of the scriptures you have. And if it's a pew Bible, if you have to push somebody out of the way to get to one of those Bibles in the floor or whatever, where you might find, you know, know, be nice. But I want everybody to have a Bible and read these things for themselves. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. A lot of lessons Start in Genesis chapter 1, but I want to show you some things. Perhaps you already know them, but I want to reiterate these things for the sake of this morning's lesson. The first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, tells us God created the heavens and the earth. But then verse 3 says this, God said, God said, what did he say? Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. That's the way the word of God works. When God speaks, things happen. And what happens is what he said would happen. And that's what the third verse of Genesis tells us. I know there's a lot of secular ideas about how the universe came into being. But I'm telling you, this is the best explanation yet. And it's also the most scientific. Because what we know of science tells us that matter is not eternal. It had to have a beginning. 
And when you look into the universe, you don't find anything capable of bringing the universe into being in the universe. There has to be something outside the universe that brought it into being. And that something outside is not a something, it's a someone, it's God. This is the best explanation for why we are here. And when you read the book itself, it's like Jesus said in John 7, 17. If you want to know whether these things are from God, do them. And you'll find out they're from God. And I'm telling you that's worked for me for 67 years. But that's just verse 3. Look at verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And what came to be? But an expanse. That's how it worked in verse 6. Look at verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. What do you think happened? The waters were gathered into one place and the dry land appeared. Look at verse 11. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them and it was so. Why was there seed in them? Because this was going to be a self-replicating creation. Everything that God made was alive, he made by speaking it into existence. That's the power of his word. And when he spoke it into existence, it came into existence with the ability to replicate itself. And it's interesting, I also think, because he he put ten times in this creation account that all living things reproduce how? After their kind. It's almost as if God somehow knew that this idea of evolution was going to come down to pike, saying that things start out one way and they change into everything else. That almost sounds like kissing a frog that turns into a prince. What do you call that? That's a fairy tale. This is reality. God speaks and things happen. Things come into existence. And you read the rest of the account. He keeps speaking and every time he speaks, things happen. That's the power of the word of God. And then we get to John chapter 1. The first chapter and the first verses of John's gospel. We're going all the way from Genesis to John chapter 1. And this is what John says. This is how John starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. You know it. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he makes this claim. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. The word is a him. The word is a he. The word is somebody. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything you see in the world, everything that exists in the universe came into being because of Jesus Christ. Because in verse 14 of this same chapter, what does it say? But that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that was in the beginning, the word that spoke everything into existence, the word that said, let there be light, that was Jesus. Jesus was in the creation making things happen. He was and is the word of God. That's what Genesis tells us. That's what John is affirming here. That this word became flesh. The word became flesh to reach out to us so that we could see God in the flesh. And know that God knows us in the flesh. He was tempted like we are. Think about that. The word of God suffering through temptation. The word of God putting up with the contradictions of men. And all of the the hatred and the ugliness 
But the word of God also came to enjoy the loyalty of men and women, the faithfulness of men and women, the love of men and women. And that is what he enjoys in you and me. When you look at the 17th chapter of John's gospel, you can go from here to the 17th chapter. I want you to see this, memorize this, mark it, put it in your mind, put it in your heart. Put it down in one way or another so you can always remember what Jesus has said to the Father here in John chapter 17. He says this in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What is Jesus saying but that he wants us to be with him? In this context, he was talking about the apostles. But he didn't simply come for the apostles. He came for all of those who would put their faith in him. And the Hebrew writer will say in chapter 12 that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And then it has this interesting phrase. Despising the shame. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. But on that cross, there was a joy set before him. And that joy, I'm convinced, is you and me and bringing us to himself. This is what he prayed to the Father about. Father, I want to show them the glory. Haven't you had something wonderful happen to you or some experience and you wanted to share that with somebody else and you were frustrated because you couldn't? I think, and I've used this illustration before, you go on vacation and you take pictures and you come back and you show people the pictures, but it's just not the same. What's that we say when we write it on a postcard and send it back? Wish you were here because there's no other place. There's no other way to get that than to be here. And that's what the word of God is all about. That's what Jesus is all about, drawing us to himself. And I'm impressed with this idea that he wants us to see the glory that he had. He thinks so highly of us that he wants to impress us. God wants to impress us. I mean, he already has, has he not? Look around you. And I, I have to think, I think of this often, because it's just so compelling, that every pleasure I enjoy in life is of God. Every single pleasure. You like popcorn? You like the way it smells? You couldn't taste it. You couldn't feel the sensation of a nice crisp kernel in your mouth. That saltiness, that wonderful buttery fatness. I love that, don't you? All of it, the smell, the taste, the texture. I know it sounds funny for a preacher to be up there talking about how great popcorn is, but popcorn's from God. And your ability to taste it. Who doesn't like to hold a puppy? Even cats are nice when they're kittens. And then, then you have a grandchild, and you pick up a little grandchild, and they put their arms around your neck. That's God. None of this would exist without God. None of it would mean anything to us without God. He's the one who has given us these gifts when you're young and you're on the playground, and for the first time you realize there's something about girls. Oh, that's from God. 
When a little girl sends a note to a little boy because she's just become enamored with him, that's of God. There's an attraction that he's built into each one of us. And guess what? That same chapter, chapter 1 of Genesis says, God spoke one more time at the end. And what did he say that last time? He said, let us make man in our image. How much more love could God show than to make us in his image? In his son, the expression of himself, his word, the power in the beginning for bringing things into existence. He has been made flesh and the one who is God made flesh wants to bring us to himself. That's what all of this is about. And you can read those red letters and they're wonderful, but I'm telling you the whole book is Jesus Christ. The whole book is his revelation to us. That's interesting. We've talked about Genesis 1 and John where John says that the word was made flesh. But let's see what the word made flesh says to his apostles in chapter 14. Jesus at this point is preparing his apostles for him being arrested and crucified. And he's trying to, he's been telling them this all along. So many times he has told them that this is going to happen, but they still, they don't quite get it. And that's all right. I don't blame them. I'm not criticizing them. If I was there, I wouldn't have gotten it either. If I was there, I wouldn't have been selected to be an apostle. That Marty Kessler, oh, I don't think he's going to work, boys. We never find somebody else. But this is what Jesus says to him in verse 16 of chapter 14. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. But he's going to come through that Holy Spirit. Drop down to verse 28. You've heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejected or you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for this. The Father is greater than I. Now you go back to verse 25 and 26. He's telling, I'm, I'm going. But he's trying to reassure them, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. This is what he says in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. How long had these guys been with Jesus? About three years. And you can imagine all the things that they have heard because every lesson, every word spoken in these gospels are things that these guys heard and he's telling them the Holy Spirit's going to come and enable you to remember every word of that. Everything I've said, you're going to be able to remember. But also, he says, he will teach you all things. That means there were some things that Jesus hadn't yet taught, but the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to send him and he's going to teach you all things. And then you go to chapter 16. Sixteen, verse seven. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is that helper. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Boom. By the word of God, the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. Then he says this in verse 12. I have many more things 
to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I've got a lot more things than what I've taught you in this last three years to say to you, but you can't bear them. However, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, that spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify, look at that verse, verse 14. He will glorify whom? The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. In other words, when this Spirit comes that I'm sending to you, He's not going to give you stuff that He's imagined or made up. The Holy Spirit is going to give you what I have given Him to give you. That's what Jesus is telling the apostles here. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is what Jesus is telling the apostles. i got a lot of things to teach you, but you can't bear them right now. This isn't the time, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit... And the Holy Spirit will give you what I want him to teach you. This is why I'm saying from these things we gather that the whole of the Bible, whether it comes from an apostle of Jesus or a prophet of Jesus, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 1. And this is, of course, a letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. But I want you to see what he says here. You're probably familiar with this, but if not, I want to make you familiar. Because this gives the Word of God, the Bible, the New Testament especially, so much more of a a personal meaning, if you will. So this is Galatians chapter 1, and this is Paul writing to the churches of Galatia. And he says this, verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were striving or uh, still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? What is he putting down here? He's saying, I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't sit down and think about this. He's a scholar in in all uh, ways of Judaism. And he had all the the earmarks of one set to be uh, the highest muckety-muck, if you will, in Judaism. But he gave all that up. Counts all that loss, he will say later. But what he's saying is, I learned what I have from Jesus Christ. I was given it by revelation. Look at verse 13. You've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. What's that mean? That means when he finally realized what he was supposed to be doing, he didn't go to talk to people about this. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the apostles 
any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. What he's saying is, I got my gospel by revelation of Jesus Christ. When he writes, he's writing of Jesus Christ. When he preaches, he's preaching Jesus Christ. All of what he says and does is from Jesus Christ. What do we call this last part of the Bible? The New Testament of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what it is. This isn't from Paul. This isn't from Peter. This isn't from John. This isn't some body of work that the apostles came up with and created. This is the word of Jesus Christ. And I I want to get this in my mind, and I want you to get it in your mind, in your head, and in your heart, because people will say things like this. Well, Paul, he was a, a male chauvinist, and so he wrote from the standpoint of a male chauvinist. No. No, he didn't. He wrote from the standpoint of the revelation that he received from Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus, Jesus never addressed, and then you fill in the blank. He never addressed the issue of homosexuality. Well, actually, he did. He addressed it when he said he is the fulfillment of the law. That means the law addressed homosexuality, and him being the fulfillment of that touched on that because he fulfilled that law. But when you understand that the whole of the New Testament, every letter written, is from Jesus Christ, then you realize, yes, everything in this volume, this tome, as we might say, is Jesus Christ. These are his words. These are his revelations. These are his, as some and many have called them, I think, love letters to us. You ever get a love letter? You got 66 of them right here. It equate to one. And they're all from Jesus Christ. So when you hear somebody say something like that, oh no, no, everything in this is Jesus. Paul wrote from Jesus. John wrote from Jesus. Everybody in here wrote from the standpoint of Jesus Christ. And when you get to Peter, this is, these are a few things that Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1. I don't know if you've ever picked this up before, but, but I want you to see it today. and Put it all together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. Wait a minute, what did he just say? Peter's talking about the old prophets who were talking about the sufferings of Christ. But who is... Who is giving those old prophets a message about the sufferings of Christ? He's saying it was the Spirit of Christ in them. Imagine that. The Spirit of Christ telling Isaiah, write down, Isaiah, this is what's going to be called the 52nd chapter. The end of the 52nd chapter says that there was one who was the servant of God who was so marred that he was not recognizable as a man. And that he sprinkled many nations. And when any Jew would hear that term sprinkling, they would automatically in their mind go to blood. And that's what he's talking about in Isaiah chapter 52. But then he goes right on into chapter 53. Where Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows. A man who grieved. A man who was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
all of these things Jesus was giving Isaiah to write down. And every other prophecy about Christ was given to those prophets by Christ himself. And so when he fulfilled those prophecies, he's living out what he's already given them to put down. And he tells the apostles, I got a lot more to say to you guys. What I've already taught you, the Holy Spirit's going to come and enable you to remember all those things so you can teach them, so you can write them down. But I got more things that you're not ready to bear now. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to show you all that. And here's here's another thing. Here's another way that this works. How much truth did Jesus say the Holy Spirit was going to give them? All truth. All truth. This is really handy when you think about it because... It helps me understand if somebody's bringing a teaching to me that is not in the Bible, it's not in Jesus' New Testament, what is it not part of then? It's not part of all truth. Isn't it great to know you've got all truth? There's not anything left out? That's what Peter affirms again through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have everything we need to live godly lives. You don't need anything else. You don't need any extra books. You don't need any revelation. This is one of the great things about being a preacher. This is what makes my job so easy. I don't have to worry about updates. I got the update. We've had it. Ever since the New Testament's been completed, we've got the word, the gospel. We've got Jesus Christ's writings and teachings encapsulated And what did that passage say about it that Jake read for us? The word of God is living and it is active. And when you read that word, know that the author is right there with you with every word of it. Jesus Christ, he's got that ability and that's the way he works. Took a little drive this weekend. I went down by myself to Fort Worth to see a daughter and her family. And I use this little thing on my phone called a map. You know how that thing works? It's got this thing, it's called a GPS. You know what GPS stands for? Global Positioning Systems. That means somewhere up in the heavens, there are satellites floating around and something in this phone is pinging off of those satellites or it's it's connected to something that's pinging off those satellites and it tells me where I am right now and it would tell me how fast I was going and if I was on the wrong road and this thing's I don't know what yours has mine has this this voice of this girl and I always feel a little guilty when I'm by myself and there's a girl talking to me but but I'm starting to get over that because I realize She's, she's purely in it to get me where I need to go. And that's all she's about. And she's patient. When I turn off, she doesn't say, oh, where are you going now, Marty? She said, this is not the way I told you to go. She just quietly says, in 25 feet, take the next left and swerve back onto I-35. That's the kind of thing she says. She never gets upset or angry. She just says that stuff. And so she guided me all the way down because I always take wrong turns and I get turned. Is it north of here or south of here? What? Oh, it's on. Now I know it's on the west side of the street because the first time I went down by myself, I pulled off on the, on the west side and I, and I roam around looking for this place that's on the. Anyway, you get my drift on this. 
Without somebody to tell us which way to go, we're lost. Now, yesterday, I knew my way home, but I went ahead and I lit this thing up anyway. And you know what happened when I drove up into the driveway? Her little voice came on and she said, welcome home. Now, I know there's not a lady in my phone. I know that some technician programmed that voice to say that. Somebody thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool if when somebody gets home, we'll, we'll just have them say, welcome home. But, but that's what this book is all about. One of these days, one of these days, God is going to say to you and to me, welcome home. Isn't that what you're looking for? That's what he's looking for. He's so desperate to buy you out of sin and bring you back to where he is that he sent his son and his son said yes I'm the one I spoke everything to existence by the will of my father I became flesh by the will of my father I endured death for you because there was a joy set before me and that joy is you and here's my book and this book is alive and if you'll read it and you'll study it it'll bring life to you just like we brought life to everything in the creation this is the same word that brings life It's not just about saving you at the end. It's about saving you every day. That's what this book is about. And so read the red letters. I got no problem with those. But don't don't let those red letters make you think when you get to the black stuff, it's not as important. Because it's all from Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement and, 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 and an invitation song is what we call it because we're inviting you. If you need to learn more about becoming a Christian or if you need to respond to become a Christian, if you need prayers of the church, you need anything that we can help you with, we want to help you because that's what God is doing, is helping you, and he wants us to do that too. So here we are, inviting you to respond. Let's stand and sing.